have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. Hey, good people. I'm so glad you decided to join us. Now, I'm sure you can tell that I am a little bit a horse, but I made a promise that I would make these podcasts regular. So if you will contend with me, I'll contend with you, and we're going to get into the Word. So today we find ourselves beginning in um, Genesis 21. And we know we dealt last time with Sodom and Gomorrah, and I was not happy about it. Um, not at all. But, you know, we we discovered in the things that happened with Sodom and Gomorrah um, that often I think that story is misconstrued, but I think it is important that we draw some wisdom from it and we make some comparisons on the main characters there we saw and we witnessed as Abraham basically negotiated with God um, about the, the fate of Sodom, um, and and I don't know if that's right or wrong. You know, we, we watched as us other characters wrestled all night long with the Lord, and then you grow up in the church, and they tell you don't question God. And I'm going to be honest with you, where I stand on that issue is I believe it is the will of God that we ask him questions. I think he wants to converse with us. I don't think that this life is a monologue. Um, I think if we we begin to question his sovereignty and his ability, that's when he takes offense. But I do think that we 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 have the right and the opportunity to ask God questions. Now, his, his boldness to um, negotiate, I guess, with God... And his plan, I don't think it was bad. I think it actually exposed the heart of God. I think it showed us very clearly that God would do anything just to save the one. And it kind of sets us up for this love story that is the Word of God, that is more revealed in the New Testament. <clears throat> but I think it is it is it is so important that we come to understand that God is a loving God and He is not a God that he, he desires to hurt us and to kill us. If we're going to be frank about these things, I know I, I drew a lot of comparisons uh, last week to the United States of America and Sodom. Um, and it bothers me, even to this day, it bothers me to talk about it. But y'all know wildfires have been breaking out all over California uh, for, for many months now. And I was looking at some pictures, and it caused me to ask this question. Is California Sodom? 
Um, and I'm not trying to be ultra evangelical. I'm not trying to be ultra, um, you know, religious. Um, but when we look at the things and the state of things, they're in the middle of being t- found out for a lot of sin that people knew existed, just hadn't called on the carpet, that had walked unrepentant for a long time. And now that such things are coming on the carpet, they are under fire and not just some little bitty fire, but like engulfed in fire, like some of these fires are burning up brick and foundations is burning it down to the dirt. Do you know it is rare for rock to be consumed by fire? And they are in situation where I'm telling you, these buildings and these these edifices are falling to the ground. They're being scorched at such high temperatures. And I'm not saying these things to scare you. It is, I'm not trying to stir up controversy, but I do think it is important that we open our eyes and see what is happening on this earth. The word says that the earth cries out with, with birthing pains at the issues that are happening as we're getting ready for the rapture of the church and the uh, tribulation period and all of the things that are being prophesied in the book of uh, Revelation. And I'm not going to lie to you, it, 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 it doesn't scare me, but it disturbs me. And I am aware, and I encourage you to be aware of the things that are happening, the things that are unfolding, and the things that... Um, are revealed, um, you know, wake I mean, if you, if you haven't made that comparison, wake up, wake up and, and not, not even in a, in a rude way, but Hey, at the very least, if that's not what's happening, if the, if the earth is just cleansing itself so it can grow uh, the way that it needs to grow good. But if you haven't made that comparison, you need to get your nose in the Bible. Um, I would hate for you to be ill-informed and you get to the, to, to the judgment throne and the Lord says, uh, you didn't know me. <laughs> you didn't seek my face. I just I don't want that to be the case. I'm sorry. Uh, but we're going to move on. We, we find ourselves in Genesis. Uh, oh, no, no, we're going to do a Abraham and Lot comparison. And then we're going to dive into Genesis 21. And we'll see how far we go. And if we make it uh, to 21 and 22 and into 24, and we'll come back to 23. Uh, we will. If we don't, we'll catch it next Tuesday. But I'm going I'm to try to be faithful to the text um, and make sure that we uh, ex- exposit everything that this Holy Spirit is telling us. So I just want to do a brief comparison of Abraham and uh, Lot because I think we pulled out last time because I think some people sometimes like to paint Lot as the hero in that story. Lot was not the hero. Lot was not spared because his he was righteous. He was justified because of who he knew and not what he knew or what he did, okay? Lot was not a good guy. You know, if you remember, these men showed up to rape these angels that were in his house. And his response was not, hey, guys, let's think about this thing. Let's not do that. God wouldn't be happy. His response was, hey, why don't you rape my daughters and say it? I'm sorry, I don't have any biological children, but if you step to my siblings, my friends, or anybody around me, I'm not going to offer up somebody else for you to go and have your nasty way with. I'm sorry, I will not be the one. I'm I'm probably going to be inclined to hurt you, and I'm going to have to go lay on the altar and repent for the things that I did to you, but I'm not going to offer up one of these precious, innocent, virgin little girls that are around me and say, hey, you can have your way with them. I'm going to be 
being utter disgust in what you want to do in the beginning. But we that I'm prob I promise you, my response will not be anything like lots. I don't care if my mind is in good health or bad health. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that will not be the response. Lot was not a good guy, and I'm, I hope I I illuminated that well the last time. But if I didn't, there it is. Okay, so what we see here, uh, Abraham, Abraham walked by faith, um, but Lot walked by sight. If you if you recall, uh, when it was time when they were having issues, and Abraham said, "Let us go our separate ways," <clears throat> and um, Abraham went on and told him, he said, "You know what? We need to part ways, but uh, you can you can have what you can pick." If you go left, I go right. If you go north, I go south. If you decide to go this way, I go the other, the other way. You just go ahead. And I think that was an, an attribution to his faith. God had already promised him Canaan. And so it didn't matter what Lot chose. He knew that God was going to be faithful to perform what he had already said. Lot looked out and he saw that the land was plentiful in Sodom. He saw that there was commerce in Sodom. He saw how pretty it was. And he went for himself. And he took that. And and to that avail, we see that Lot was greedy and he was worldly. And Abraham was genius, uh, generous and magnanimous. He was interested in uh, what God had for him once God did reveal himself to him, you know, and, and I think it was important that his faith happened because he knew that God was going to be faithful to perform just what he said he was going to do. You know, I think that, that that says a lot because Lot, it wasn't like Abraham came um, and had been raised Jewish or had been raised Christian. You know, there isn't really any formal uh, religion at this point. We find it, its beginnings here. And he was probably raised very pagan, but yet he knew to trust this character God. He knew that there was something about him that was sovereign. It was all sufficient, and he knew that it was indeed faithful. And so he knew that when God made a promise, that the promise was going to be made good. Oh, man, I wish I had a voice. Um, And so when we look at this thing, I think it is so important that we see these 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 parallels again. We see that, that that, and here's another one that I really like. That is that Abraham was in search of a city that was built by God. God promised him Canaan. He promised him that Canaan would be great. When we see the uh, children of Israel being delivered into the hands of Canaan, when he when Moses comes to get them and they get ready for Canaan, we see that. Canaan uh, is flowing with milk and honey. It was a city that was built by God, okay? But Lot wanted a city made by men that was subsequently destroyed by God. How crazy is that? Come on now, now we've got to make this parallel. Let's make this parallel to Scripture because Lot wanted a city that was made by men and it was destroyed by God. How many times have we been in search of something that man has glorified but has been shunned by God? How many times have we fallen in love with something God has not ordained? You know, when people start talking about marriage <clears throat> and, and, and we get so stuck on what the girl look like, how fine he is, what you know, what can he wear, what can he afford, but God has called you to be with the little humble dude over there in the corner, and you tell the Lord, 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 I don't want that. He's too short. Lord, I don't want that. 
He he too nerdy. And God has called you forth to be with this person. He has designed and destined for you to walk with this person. But they don't meet to the eye what you thought God was going to bless you with. And so we get upset with God and we miss what God is trying to do on our behalf. Hey, that's kind of jacked up, is it not? <clears throat> Man, I wish I had a voice. Uh but when we start looking at this thing, to me, it becomes overly apparent how God can take situations that we think are good because the lustful eye is in desire of them. Lot wanted a city that looked glamorous. Lot wanted a Los Angeles. And don't get me wrong, y'all. I've been to Los Angeles several times. Enjoyed myself. Didn't, didn't enjoy that the food cost so much more. Didn't quite enjoy that Disneyland was so much smaller and more disappointing than Disney World. But, you know, Los Angeles is a cool place. I'm not trying to, 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 to say that Los Angeles is hell. I'm not trying to say that. But what I'm saying is there are practices that are made normal there that are the antithesis of what God has probably, has not probably, has ordained for his church and what he desires from his people. And who is the church? The church is anybody who would believe on his name. And so if, if practices that are contrary to God are rampant in that place, how is anybody going to come to get saved because they can't see the Christ living in anybody because everybody living like hell. Not good. Not good. Not good at all. But yet when we look at this thing, when we look at this thing, we, we see these parallels and these parallels bring to life um, what, 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 the, what the demise is going to be because we know that Abraham is the heir of all things. We said that the whole world would be blessed through his seed. And we, we are seeing that thing walk itself out even to this day. And here's what gets me. Here's what gets me. If Abraham is the, is the heir of all things, at the close of the story, at the close of, of, of the appearance of Lot in Scripture, we see Lot hiding out in a cave. Uh, um, and and he's, he's hiding in a cave. He has returned to the pit. Now, if you're familiar with the books that I've written, the very first book that I wrote, book changed my life, called the peak craving the pit. When we go down into the pit, there is no positive things that can come from us. They may look positive in our eyes. We may be comfortable in them, but they cannot produce fruit. We may sit there and be comfortable in that mess. We may be fond of that mess, but being in that mess cannot take us to where God has designed for us to go. And so Lot in his quarrelsome self, in his greedy self, found himself in a cave, in a pit, and he was unable to produce fruit, so much so that his his daughters decided that they were going to go sleep with their daddy because there was no seed. And so they go in there and they do something that is yet again despicable in the eye of God. Um, and so we see, you know, Abraham is the, is the heir of all things, and Lot has forfeited everything. He was a wealthy man. He had all kinds of things that were attributed to his name when he was in Sodom, but because he knew Abraham, he found uh, he found freedom and he found uh, redemption, even though he was not deserving. Who does that sound like? Sounds like you and me. We found redemption, even though we don't reserve, we don't deserve it. I fight daily against this flesh. Fight daily that uh, <laughs> that Satan, as Satan tries to make my faith fail, and I mess up sometimes. Sometimes I can pat myself on the back and say, "Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit." But sometimes my flesh talks a little bit louder than the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I don't want to hear the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And that's the problem and the disposition that we have, that we have to overcome all of the time. Now, 
I think we, we can go ahead and, and, and start talking. Um, we can get to Genesis 21, and, let, and let's, let's look at uh, the scripture. And so 21, reading from the New King James Version, the Lord visited Sarah, and he, he had said, And the Lord did this for Sarah as he had spoken, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the set time of which God had spoken to him and Abraham, the name of his own son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then I, Abraham circumcised Isaac, his son Isaac, when he was eight days old, and God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. And, and also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Y'all, that's, that's, that's something else. And I like to, when I, when I talk about this, like I, I have to actually put myself in these situations. Now, they were in their 120s, right? They were oh, 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 oh. But I got to go to those people that are closest to me. And so I think about my grandparents. Three or four of them are living. Um, and they're all in their late 70s, mid to late 70s. Um, and, and, you know, they don't move like they did 20 years ago when I came into the world, well, 22 years ago when I came into the world. You know, they're getting older. Uh, you know, I thought they were old then, but they're getting older, and, and things don't work the way that they used to. They move a little bit slower. Their, their movements aren't as graceful as they used to be. And so the idea that they could possibly bear a child is baffling, like I have to laugh. And what's funny is the Scripture says... <laughs> She says, God has made me laugh, and all who will hear will laugh with me. Because I think there was a, a tinge, a more, much more than a tinge, of disbelief in Sarah. Okay, Abraham, you're talking about I'm going to get pregnant. You're talking about we're going to have a kid, whatever. Okay, how about, you know, since God has made this promise to you, go sleep with Hagar. And they had a baby, and then she gets jealous. Okay, but God's still talking about we're going to have a baby. I think you're crazy. We're not going to have a child. We're well past that. And even when we were in childbearing years, I couldn't give you a kid. So what makes you think that here, now that I'm old and decrepit, what makes you think that we can have a child? What would cause you to believe that we were going to be capable of carrying another baby? I don't see that happening, Hagar. I don't see that happening, Abraham. But if you believe it, okay, sweetheart, I'm going to rub you on the back of your neck, and, and you just go ahead and you believe that. But yet Abraham's faith persisted. Abraham believed that God was faithful to perform it. Abraham believed that God was going to do exactly what he said. And so God performed it. And so she, she had to eat her words. She said, God has made me laugh. I guess he is capable of doing what he has said. How many times do we find ourselves in situations where God has promised us something that just don't make sense? You know, I, I sat here and I've been praying for the same thing for 10 years. Thought I, I tasted it last year, right? But then he took it away, right? Uh, but before he let me taste it, I sat in a situation where he gave me peace about it. And then the whole time I'm sitting there, how could you give me peace about this? Because this is not how I thought you were going to bring this about. You know, and so me and the Lord argued for about six, seven months before I just sat down and was still and walked in what he had promised me. Now, y'all think about how crazy that is. I had prayed for 10 years for the same thing. And as I had been praying for 10 years for the same thing, that he, he, he gave me peace about it. 
Now, I couldn't touch the thing. I couldn't hold the thing. I couldn't move it. I couldn't feel it. I couldn't smell it. But he gave me peace about it. And he showed me a fulfillment of it. And I couldn't understand. I'm like, God, you, you, I don't understand this. You, I need some help understanding this. And so I thought that the peace may have been fake or it may have been false. And so, but then I came to realize as I did a study of peace, peace couldn't be manufactured. So this peace must be indeed from the Lord, from the Lord. But Lord, how could this be so? It just doesn't make sense. I feel like this is how Sarah is sitting. This is where Sarah is. How could this be so? I don't understand. You know, my body is not what it used to be. I don't think that we can carry a baby at this point. You know, I'm old. And, you know, God, after a while, a woman's body runs its course. And apparently I couldn't I couldn't give you anything beforehand. How are you going to give us a baby now? We are old. We are decrepit. We're falling apart. My knees hurt. I got arthritis everywhere. How in the world am I supposed to bear a baby and chase after a baby? I think that Abraham must have been drinking. I know he's they all say he's righteous, but I think something's wrong. And I can just imagine that's where Sarah was sitting. But Abraham was sure in his faith. Abraham felt like God was going to do the immeasurable, and so that is exactly what he expected. I would even imagine that it's possible that Abraham was a student of the Maserat, as we talked about. Maybe Abraham had sat in there and saw the prophecy, and he believed that God was going to do just what he said, even, even though it sounded nuts. How many times has God said something and it just sounded nuts? Or how many times have you been sitting in church and somebody promised something, said it was in the Word, and it just sounded crazy? Said, surely you're just a fool. How many times has somebody looked you in your eyes and told you it was a fool to believe in Jesus Christ? You know, I've been in all of those situations, but it doesn't make you a fool and it doesn't make you crazy. It just means that you are faithful, full of faith. Ooh. So they had the baby. Isaac comes into the world, first promise fulfilled, first portion of the promise fulfilled. She had to eat her words. But you remember they made an indiscretion prior trying to do God's job for God. Now, how crazy is that? They're the clay trying to understand the potter. It just don't work like that. You, you can, The clay is never going to understand the potter. It doesn't matter how good the potter is. It doesn't matter how great the clay is. The clay is not on the same plane or the same level as the potter. The potter is a completely different breed of object. The potter is a is a, is a is a body. It is a figure. It has a mind, body, and a soul. The clay is inanimate. It is just one dimensional. It, it, it can be felt and it can be wet and it can move into different ways. It's cool when it comes to things. But see, the potter is a person. Ooh, but the clay is a thing. And so, people, person, thing, it's a whole different. It's a whole different brand of items. And so, although it was un, it was un, it was not. Uh, easy to understand. Adam, Abraham and Sarah were clay, and uh, God in this situation was the potter. And yet they tried to understand him, and they tried to get around him. So they went and told him to go sleep with Hagar, go have a baby. And so I'm running around this point. There is a baby boy named Ishmael with whom I'm sure Abraham loved. Abraham had been wanting a baby boy for a long time, and now he had a baby boy. Sure, it wasn't with Sarah, but I've got a seed. And sure, he was sitting around thinking, well, I guess that's what the Lord wanted, but I got a baby boy. I have a son. He is my son. He probably even looked like him around the eyebrows like he did. And so at this point, he has a son, but then something happened, and we find ourselves in verse 8. He says, so the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great face on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore, yes, right, had an attitude. 
she had an attitude. She was sitting there like, look, well, I gave him his firstborn. You may have been able to give him a legitimate child, but I gave him the firstborn. That's something you'll never get back. And, and you know, she had a little attitude at this point because she's like, how dare you? How dare you? You know, you asked me to do this. We got a relationship. I'm sure they'd be, I bet that Abraham had just as much pillow talk as he had with Sarah. I don't want you to be confused or vexed or, you know, in the wrong place. They were in a situation with which they had a baby. They had a child. It was like they, they were close. I would imagine they had built a relationship. They were parenting this baby boy. I'm willing to bet Abraham loved that boy as his own because he was his own. He did come from his loins. It was his kid. I don't want you to think that he's just some bastard child out there. I don't want you to think that he's just some um, foster child or just some child off the street. This is the flesh of his flesh. Like, this is his kid. <clears throat> and in verse 9, well, no, no, verse, verse, uh, Verse 10, therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very pleasing to Abraham's sight because of his son. Like I told you, this was a real relationship. This was his real baby boy. This was his kid. You want me to get rid of my kid and his mama. You want me to be a deadbeat dad. Now this might have been before the day of the deadbeat dad, but he was saying, I don't want to be the precursor for the daddy to leave. I want to raise mine. That's my soy. That's my boy. That's my seed. That's my child. But my wife is upside upset. And if you've ever heard the term happy wife, happy life. And so you've got Abraham tossed between a rock and a hard place. Oh, he's he's probably big and vexed, big and confused. Like, what am I supposed to do? My wife don't like my kid and his mama, but that's my kid. That's the light of my life. Yeah, I got Isaac, and that's my boy. That's the one God has promised me. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But that's still my boy. Just a couple of, um, earlier this year, we buried one of my cousins. And his mother and father divorced, and so I didn't really grow up around his daddy because I'm kin to his mother. But his father seemed rather vexed at his funeral that he continued to cry out as he stood up at the at the uh, casket and he cried out, that's my boy. That's my boy. And he was so upset that his boy had left this earth before him. He just continued to cry out, that's my boy. There is a bond between a daddy and his boys. Just like there's a bond between a daddy and his girls. That is his seed. He looks like me. He feels like me. We share things in this life that nobody will ever share. We share DNA. He came from me. He is half of me. And you want me to put my boy out. But what Abraham failed to understand is that it was prophecy that that Ishmael had to go. Sure, Ishmael would be blessed, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Abraham would be, I mean, Ishmael would be blessed. His seed, the the Muslim faith would come from. And they would be cool until Jesus came. But what he didn't know was that he had to get out the house because it was not the lineage through which Jesus Christ would come. People would make the mistake of giving the lineage to Ishmael and not Isaac, and we would have false doctrines to arise. It would, the assumption is that the birthright would go to Isaac. There would be confusion about it. And so he had to get up and get out. Yeah, that's your boy. That's your thing. Sometimes in our lives there are situations that are close to us, but they have to go. 
There are things that we love with our whole hearts and we would never get rid of them. We would never walk without them, without prompting, without somebody saying you got to get rid of it. There are things in our hearts, things in our lives that we would never see as bad, never things that we would never want to part with, things that we hold near and dear to our hearts and so we would not walk away. But these things are the very things that keep us from receiving the thing that God has put our name on. Abraham's lineage was written all over Isaac. Everything that God promised him was written all over Isaac. Sure, Ishmael came first. But everything, every promise, every great thing came through Isaac. So, <clears throat> we keep going. And he said in verse 11, And the matter was very displeasing to Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of the bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. Because I told you it was prophetic, remember? And for in Isaac your seed will be called. Yet I will also make a nation for the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. God promised to take care of him, y'all. Verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and put it on her shoulder, and he gave the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Bathsheba, and the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under her, one of her shrubs. Then she went out and sat down across from him at the distance of about a bow shot, for she said, it says, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite of him and lifted her voice and wept, and God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of, the, of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad and where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water. God gave the lad a drink. She gave the lad a drink, and so God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him in the land of Egypt. <clears throat> okay, so check this out. I know as Christians, we like to play Muslims with a bad brush, right? We like to say that they are they're everything that's terrible. And um, right here in Scripture, we see that they are a blessed nation through the hand of God. Now, listen, let me explain this, and I want you to pay very uh, close attention to this. I wish I had a voice as I was breaking down, breaking this down, but I really want you to catch this. God promised to bless the nation through Ishmael's loins, and he did that. If you look at the Middle East, most of those countries are Muslim countries. Those countries came from the seed of Ishmael. Okay, prior to Jesus Christ, prior to, to 2017 years ago, it was acceptable to be Muslim in the sight of God. Why? Because Israel was just the chosen people of God. Okay, Gentiles worshipped God, but they didn't worship him in the way they were not bound to these laws. The Muslims were bound to something different. They came from the seed of God. They all worshiped the same God. Allah is Yahweh. Okay, I don't I don't know how to make that any clearer. He is Yahweh. When Christ died, 
he was a unification mechanism because neither system had the ability to rectify sin. We were too corrupt. It didn't matter which way you went. It didn't matter how you worshipped or how you acknowledged God. It didn't matter who you were. We were too corrupt to try to go and make a, 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 a sacrifice every time we messed up. We messed up too much. There weren't enough animals in the world to sacrifice and to do it right. And so what they did, and what, what they did, I mean, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what they did is they sent Christ. And they sent Christ as a mode of unification to all the world, okay? All the world. Look, he's the same God. Just the way that we get to him is different, okay? The way that we worship him is different. But here's the thing. There's no reason to be ashamed of being these things up until 2,000 years ago. But Christ became the unification model. You don't have to stop worshiping Allah if you are Muslim because he's the same God. But you do have to start worshiping Jesus Christ. You do have to believe that he died on the cross. You don't have to let go of Yahweh and all of the practices you learn as a Jew. But you do have to pick up this belief in Christ if you want to make it to heaven, okay? Yes, he glorifies the Jews in in Genesis. But that does not mean that you don't have to go and say, I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that I'm a sinner, but I thank God that he loved me that much. You have to believe it and you have to confess confess it. These, all three major world religions came from Abraham and all of them were blessed by God. That is why they are the three major world religions. And if it was some coincidence, you you would assume that something else would be the major three world religions and they would come from different seed. This was ordained by God. But what happened on Calvary's cross rectified it for all of us. You cannot get into heaven believing anything but Jesus Christ. Look, now you can keep up your traditions in, 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 in some of these ways. Now, those traditions won't get you into heaven. But if you believe in Christ, I don't care what background, what creed, what blood flows through your veins. If you will believe in Jesus Christ, you can get to heaven. Okay, this is why that I can sit next to somebody who, who, is, a, who is a Muslim, say we worship the same God because we do. But we got to have the same mechanism and communication to him to make sure that you are saved and covered. I hope I've clean, cleared it up. If you, if I have an email me, send me a message, najones at the thecojocompany.com. I want to talk to you. I want to make sure that you're saved. I want to make sure that you are thirsty after righteousness. And if not, let's, let's try to get there, okay? Whew, okay. I'm going to skip um, 23 through 34. And we're going to come back to it, okay? Because for the, for the sake of getting through this and making sense of it, I want to make sure that we connect, connect the dots where they need to be connected. And we'll just come back to that that passage. And to 23, we're going to skip 23 as well. We're going to skip to 24. But I want to make sure that we make this as con- continuum or continual as possible and that it makes the most sense. Chapter 22 uh, beginning at verse 1, now it came to pass after these things. Now, if you've been following the, the Revelation study, you know that word, after these things, metatauta, as it is in the Hebrew, me is, is, is very significant. But he says, take your, your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. I think that we, we, ha- we see an instance of the eraser of God of, of the Holy Spirit. Look, because we remember just seconds ago we were talking about Ishmael 
and Ishmael came from the seed of Abraham. Ishmael is the son of Abraham, but he had to erase that to make the um, the connection between Jesus Christ and Abraham and Isaac and and Jacob. Okay, um, and Eleazar subsequently, and so as we see this, okay. Now take your son, your only son, Isaac. Now we know he has departed. Ishmael has departed at this point. But you know, I believe there's probably a, heart, a place in the heart of Abraham uh, for his son at this point. But Jesus, God is making a point here. Uh, and he's drawing a comparison. And we'll come back to it in just a second. Whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Man, that's heavy. I don't have kids biologically, but one day I do hope that I, and I don't know if they'll be biological, but I do hope to parent one day. But in my days of parenting, I can't say that if God said, go sacrifice your baby as a burnt offering, that I would be eager to do it. Uh, in verse 3, we saw Abraham says he rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place for which God had told him. He just got up and did it. He was faithful to what God had told him. He was obedient. And I'm probably going to be much like Abraham was in a couple of chapters prior where he was negotiating with God. And granted, Abraham had a little more faith in that situation because he was able, he was negotiating on the behalf of somebody else. But I can't promise you that I wouldn't be sitting here negotiating for for my for my child, my child, my there's a piece of me, this child with whom I bonded with, this child with whom is mine, this child we prayed about for all these years, this child who was part of me. You want me to go and make him a burnt offering? We put animals on the burnt offering. You telling me my baby boy is the equivalent of an animal? You got to be kidding me! I'm promising you, guys. These are the things that are probably going through my mind. Should God tell me to do that? Um, but it's why Abraham goes down in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Uh, but he rose up. He was eager. He went, he went, he was obedient. And I'm sure all the while he was sitting thinking like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I can't kill my baby. I know, I know he's grown now, but I can't kill my baby. I can't do this. I need some help. Oh God. But I got to go be obedient. You know, he'd have made me some pretty tall promises. I, you know, I trust he's faithful. Well, let me go consult the stars. What the stars say? I need some help here because I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't think this is what I want to do. I'm not excited about killing my kid, but God said kill him. He'd been kind of faithful thus far. <sighs> you got to be kidding me. Um, and so he, he goes, but then on the third day, verse, verse 4, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay there with the donkey and the lad, and I will go up yonder and worship, and we will come back. Now, I think that may have been a bit of prophecy. And I also believe that Abraham was a student of prophecy. I believe that Abraham knew that God was going to perform it. I believe that Abraham was sitting here knowing he was like, God is going to be faithful. I don't think he's going to let me kill this kid. He made a promise to me. He promised Promise me that through the seed of Isaac, that my there would be many nations. Isaac don't have any kids yet. Since Isaac don't have no kids yet, surely, 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 he's not going to let me kill this kid. Or he's going to resurrect him, and then I'm going to have a story to tell at dinner parties forever. Amen. People are going to be amazed at what God has done for me. So whatever he's doing, my son is not going to leave. But I, hey, somebody, this thing ain't right. But hey, I've got to go do what God has told me, so I'll catch you later. And I think that's kind of where he was going, and that's what he had going on with himself. I wish I had a voice. (laughs) Um, But he he leaves the other two men that they brought along with them, and he he says, stay here. 
uh, we're going to go up and worship. And, and I don't know uh, the the importance of them staying at the bottom, but possibly it was so they didn't revolt and go crazy when they found out what his real intentions were. Maybe it wasn't so that he would shake uh, Isaac because I don't know how willing of a servant I would be if my daddy woke up and said, hey, I got to kill you today because you're my firstborn and God told me I got to kill you. I'd probably be cursing the day I was born. I'm like, wait a minute. Now, wait, wait. And then I would probably go into negotiation mode. Now, wait, Daddy, now, now I thought you loved me. <laughs> and I can just kind of see where I would be going with that, but I don't think that I would be too excited about uh, about it, and I don't know how willing I would be. So I think that Abraham may have held, held some uh, details back so that he didn't startle everybody. And so when we look at this thing, um, I think it becomes absorbently um, apparent how um, how God moves and how He uses us, and and what I love about it is the faith that Abraham had. I mean, he loved his kid, just like he loved Ishmael. And when the time came to give them up, he gave them back to whom he gave them to. God said, get, well, really, you know, Sarah said, get rid of him. And then God said, hey, well, if she says it, I want you to be obedient. And so he's obedient. And he lets them leave. It vexed his soul, but he let them leave. And now Isaac, he's saying, kill Isaac. And so he goes and he says, okay, well, if you say kill Isaac, I don't really want to kill Isaac. But if you're telling me to, well, that's what I'm going to do because you're God. And that's, that's something that I think we all can take a page out of the book of Abraham for. You know, I'm not saying go put your kids on the altar in that manner. But what I'm saying is that if we would say God said I'm gonna, he's going to do this thing for me and it does not look good and I don't think I, 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 I like the outcome, but I trust God so much that whatever he says do, I'll do it. Wherever he says go, I'll go. Well, however he tells me to hold my hand, I'll hold it. If he tells me to do X, I'm going to do X. If he tells me to do Y, he to do Y. He says solve for Z, I'm going to solve for Z. Why? Because he's God. I think one thing about intelligence that has bitten us in the behind here recently is that we get so intelligent and we get so self-righteous that we forget to trust God. You know, I'm guilty, y'all. I got, I got almost three degrees, and I'm thinking about pursuing a fourth. And in this in this place of pursuing degrees and going deeper, looking at the word and putting letters before and behind my name, there are some things that this logical world have programmed in me that sometimes calls me to question the sovereignty of the Almighty. And often I have to snap myself back into the reality that he knows everything. But sometimes we have to put academia aside. You know, I think academia is a great tool to uncover some of these riches in this word if you use it right. But sometimes we have to put academia aside and say, I know that you're able to do it, God. I know that it's science and mathematics seem to think that you cannot, but I know that you're able. And since I know that you're able, God, I trust you to do everything you said you would do. And I love that about Abraham. I love that about Abraham. I wish I, well, I don't wish I will get to that place one day. I, I want to sit at that place one day where God tells me to do something. And I just have so much faith that I'm not in the way that he will do what he said. Okay. 
So here we, we're just going to keep going in the scripture. And he says, uh, J, uh, chapter verse 6, he says, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham. He said, My father. He said, I'm here, my son. He said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the the two of them went together. So all y'all imagine is walking up the mountain. Daddy said we're gonna go, we're gonna go build a fire and we're gonna make an altar to God. Cool. I know how this works. We didn't build altars before. I ain't I'm not new to this. I know we need some wood. I know we need an animal. Wait, wait, it ain't no animal down here. Ho, 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 daddy, 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 daddy. Where's the animal? Because at this point, I think he's getting a little suspicious. He said, we got everything. Daddy is not just forgetful. Daddy builds altars to God all the time. Him and God are like best friends. So why would he forget the offering? Uh, it's me and you. We're the only two things that's living up here. Why in the world would we expect for God to provide an offering? We ain't, we ain't trusted God to provide an offering before we brought an offering. How, why would we trust God to bring his own offering to the, to, to the thing? We make an offering to him. It's a gift to him. In what world do we allow him to choose the offering? You know, I, I surely God, he, surely he's not going to kill me. I, me and daddy got a bond. Why would he allow me? To, and so I can imagine that he's got all of these thoughts going on and he, he and his daddy Abraham meets him with this simple thought he says God will provide sometimes we have to shut the thoughts down the logic down we have to just say God will provide in this season I have been tested I, I'm sure you've heard me for the last several months complain about how I'm not being in I'm not in Australia how I sent all this money over there to be there I played for plane tickets and a house on the beach and, and I prepaid for lessons I've got a job that I Skype to and all of these things that are, are important that I'm having to do these things that I'm missing and I don't understand why it is that I'm still in Alabama I got a car with my name on it. All these things. So these people send me a stub every week of how much money I'm making, and I'm having to mess up my sleep schedule. I'm all up in Bur- I'm in Birmingham and Auburn, and I'm supposed to be across the country. I have been upset, but I think if I would look back and I had to do it all over again, I think my answer would be God is going to provide. Don't get upset, God. It's going to provide. Oh, the money, they keep sending you a stub, but you ain't seen a check. God is going to provide. Oh, you've sent over four or $5,000 to Australia so that you would have provision for a trip that you are yet to take. And there are less than 20 days left in your, in your internship. God is going to provide. Oh, well, you, you your, your relationships are falling apart because you didn't leave for a trip you were supposed to leave for, and people prepared for you to be gone. God is going to provide. How many situations, if we would have just said God is going to provide, and we wouldn't try to figure this thing out, situations that we really don't have no business trying to figure out, would God have the opportunity to, to do his best work? But yet we try to be the gods of our own lives. Let's stop doing that. Let it go. <clears throat> Let it go, let it go, let it go. Okay. Then he says, um, Then they came to the place for which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in, in order. And he bound Isaac, his son. Now y'all think about that. You, Isaac, you done, you done seen your daddy do this a thousand times. And he started doing you like you the offering. What the heck? 
oh no, I'm not here for this. Wait a minute, hold a second. I know that you are my daddy, but surely I got some I got some kind of say so in this, and I am not the one. Do not put me on that altar. I ain't burning up out here for you. I don't know. Look, I, I think you you may, did you take your medicine tonight? Oh, but he, he binds Isaac up. <laughs> he binds Isaac up, ties him up, and um, <laughs> as he <coughs> pardon me, as he ties him up. Mm. Um, where am I? Uh, he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon him. And Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. He was about to go through with all of it. He said, "I, you know, God, you're gonna do. I know that you're gonna do it, and so I'll go as far as I have to. If I have to kill him, I know you'll resurrect him. If if not, you'll stop my hand. I know that you're God, and I love the faith here. And so he said, here, he, and the angel of the Lord called out. He had the knife up. He was about to kill his baby, but he kill his son. He wasn't really a baby, but he said, and the angel of the Lord called him from heaven. And he said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. And at this moment, I can just imagine Abraham like, thank you, Lord." <laughs> Pardon me. Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket of its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up to the burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham came to the place, and he named it Jehovah-Jireh. And if you don't know what Jehovah-Jireh means, it is the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God is not going to leave you destitute. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, Myself, by myself, I have sworn, and says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is in, on, on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. My, so Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Bathsheba. And Abraham dwelt with at Beersheba. So here we see Abraham was down for the cause. Abraham knew that God was going to be faithful. And so he was not going to be held in contempt for standing in the way of what God said he was going to do. He was not going to be the one that stood in the way of God moving the way that he did. And so he then sees God move. God gives this ram, and like literally a ram. Like a ram. Y'all think about how big a ram is. A ram was in a bush. How big was this bush? <laughs> a ram was in the bush. They put the ram on the on the altar and they sacrificed him. And I'm sure Abraham is looking at his daddy all types of crazy, but he's grateful to God that he didn't lose his life. Now here, now let's look at this thing really, really closely. Because I believe that this story uh parallels right to um parallels right to Jesus Christ, okay? So first, the father, the father Abraham, you know, remember I told you that the Bible uses pawns and he uses models all throughout the thing. The course of it is, is so well put together, like it has to be divinely written by God himself. And the closer you study it, the more that you see that God himself who penned this book. It was just subscribed, it was just transcribed by man. Um, but first, the father, the, the, the model of the father is uh, Abraham. The son, of course, 
is Isaac. And here in a little bit, when we get to chapter 24, that's what we're about to dive into, we'll see who the Holy Spirit is. But it took three days. He got his marching orders one night. And it took three days for them to make it to Mount Moriah, okay? On, on the third day, a ram in the bush was provided, okay? And so then the sacrifice was made. Okay, what does that sound like? We, because the faith of Abraham, I don't believe, I believe in his mind that Isaac was dead the moment that God gave him his marching orders. To him, mentally and emotionally, and possibly even spiritually, Isaac was dead the moment God gave him his marching orders. And so his, I believe his resurrection happened when the ram in the bush happened. Now, this is, this is some, some, some really deep stuff, and it's really, really, really crazy. But when we begin to model this, I believe that we, we, if, you, now if you've heard, you've been around church, that the Old Testament is concealed, but the New Testament reveals. And so I believe that this is just a type. As we get into and we talk about Eleazar and all that good stuff, we see that God... Uh, makes he it goes a little bit deeper and he, he causes other things connections to happen. But first, I want to establish that Abraham is like a type of the Father, and Isaac is a type of Jesus. And as we look at that, I think it becomes exceptionally clear um, about what God is doing, what He's saying, and the doors that He's opening. Now, I think it is um. It's something worth being grateful about. It's something worth praising God for, and it's a, it's a to me, it's a it's a living miracle um, to be able to look at such a situation and it's such opportunities uh, that God is doing and making happen and making very plain to His people. I love the Lord because of the way that He worked that thing out. Now we we'll we'll come back and we'll look at. Uh, these other things, but let's move. We're going to skip 23 and we're going to go to 24. Why? Because I want to close these tight ends in, okay? And in order to do that, I want to skip Sarah's death. We're going to come back to it. And I want to deal with this uh, chapter 24. Okay. Now, chapter 24 starts with something that I just found rather ironic. Chapter 24 says, now Abraham was old. Well, Abraham was old when we first started talking about him, but hey, it was important. Uh, (laughs) The the new King James tries to clean it up. He says, well, Abraham was old, well, advanced in his age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Now, I actually think that it it makes that because I believe that as as God was working, doing a work in Abraham and in Sarah to get them ready to be able to bear Isaac, I believe that not only did he work on their uterus and his male parts, I think what he also did is that he began to renew them uh, physically. Because if you remember when they went to Egypt and when they traveled elsewhere, uh, it was always said that she was beautiful and she looked on him. Now, I, you know, I subscribe to the black don't crack thing, but usually older people are not really sexually desirable if we're going to be real about it. Um, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be anything. But usually you don't, you don't see people getting excited about older people. Um, and so I think that could lead us to believe that, <clears throat> that in these situations, these um, that both Abraham and uh, Sarah as they were being renewed and made younger on the inside, as change was going out on the inside of them, I believe that there was probably some change going on on the outside of them. Um, but that is just me and my inferences in Scripture. Now, we're going to keep moving, keep reading. Um, verse 
two. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his eldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear to, to my Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not make take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you should go to my country and my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. So we see a couple of things happen. The scripture says he, his eldest servant. Now, I don't want you to think his eldest servant was his oldest servant. Uh, his eldest servant was... Um, you know, the elder servants of his house that ruled over all he had. This is like the top dog. This is the man that we're talking about, Eleazar, and we're going to see that in a second. Eleazar was going to be the the, the heir to the throne, heir to the household of Abraham when he didn't have any heirs. This is the man who is like chief in the house. When we talk about Joseph in a few chapters, uh, how Joseph ruled in Potiphar's house and later, later ruled over Egypt, how he was the chief dude over the servants, he was the chief slave, how in these situations he found himself to be the boss in situations where he should be lowly. Eleazar is not necessarily, he may have been the oldest in the house, but the, the prominence on him was not his age, but it was yet his prestige in the eyes of Abraham, okay? <clears throat> so as we continue to look at this, mm, but he makes his promise. He swear by the Lord. I don't want you to buy. Hey, I don't want you to go find me a wife among these pagan folk. I want you to go back and find somebody that's kin to me. Somebody that that go find go find boy, my boy a wife. We got to continue this lineage. I want to make sure that he's healthy. I want to make sure that that that, that God, the the covenant can be handled. And so I got to make sure that you go find him a clean wife, not somebody who's been exposed to this pagan deal or that something that can't be molded. I want you to go go to my hometown. And find my boy wife. So he sends him on his way. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman would not be willing to follow me to this to this land. Must I take your son back to the land for which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there, the Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and of heaven, um, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take the wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So what we see here happening is um, Isaac he getting ready to give, you know, get find Isaac a, a wife or whatever. But he, I, what I love is Abraham is remembering the covenant as he's getting ready to give his son, give find his son a wife. He's remembering the covenant that God has said to him. So he's not, he's not willing that he backtrack. We offer this stuff how Abraham was running around at the beginning, and he was like, we were going to go to Egypt. He has finally come to this place where he believes God is going to provide. His, we can, we have watched the growth of Abraham's faith. How it was only a, a little bitty mustard seed, and now he has great faith. In the beginning, he was like, okay, I trust you, but hey, we don't have any food to eat. We're going to go to Egypt. Hey, I trust you, but uh, we, we, I know you told us to go to Canaan, but we're going to go up here a little bit further. I trust you, but that but has been removed. And I think in our own walks, in our own lives with Christ, that we have to remove the but. The but has to get out at some point. We have to say, I trust you no matter what. We got to kind of become like Job and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust you. We've got to kind of get to a place where we, we just trust God so fully and so, so flagrant that we will do things that other people don't understand. Don't find me a him a wife here in Canaan. Go back to my homeland, but don't take him there, okay? Don't do that. 
uh, don't don't do that. Why don't well, don't do that? Because God promised us this land here, and since He promised us this land here, why don't we go back there? The land is ours. He said we will possess this land. This is our land. We're not going to backtrack. We're not going crazy. This is where he told us to be, and that's where we're going to be. And so, look, if he, if the girl requires to come here, that ain't the girl. If she won't follow, that ain't the girl. Just do, do as I say, and God will make it plain. So, verse 6, and Abraham said to him, uh, no, no, we already got through that. Uh, verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all his master's good were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well water at the evening time. And the time, uh, when a, a woman went out to go, women went out to go draw water. Then he said, Oh Lord, God of my master, Abraham, please give me success this day. First, he's praying y'all. Notice that he's praying. His first thing, he didn't got there. He didn't got his diary together. He's got 10 camels full of gifts. He's come with more than enough gifts. But even before he approaches the first woman, he says, he goes to the Lord in prayer. You should start every endeavor. I don't care who told you to go. I don't care if God has promised you to go. I don't care if you are sent on work or anything. Start every endeavor with prayer. You can, If you start with God, you'll finish with God. If you start with you, you might not finish at all. But continuing, we're gonna we're gonna keep continuing because I don't know how how much long this longer this piece of a voice has, and I got a baby dedication in the morning, <clears throat> and um, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Uh, and he he made his camels kneel down outside the city by the well of the water at evening time and the time when women go out to draw water, and he said, "Oh Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham." Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city were were coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. She says, drink, and I will give your camels drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now he goes and he puts out a prayer fleece, okay? Now, some people, now look, there's a difference between putting a prayer fleece and, and asking for tricks and, and trickery. He puts a, a prayer fleece before the Lord because he's trying to get right. Now, what is a prayer fleece? A prayer fleece is when you ask God to do something specific to show you uh, what he has already spoken to you. Okay, now, when you put a prayer fleece out there, it is imperative that you are doing it in the right mind. If you're doing it because you don't believe God is real, don't do the prayer fleece. But if you are truly asking God for wisdom and guidance, you can use this prayer prayer mechanism. Uh, there's a young lady who who, wanted, who who had a desire to go and teach yoga to in Russia to help people come to Christ. And so he said, God, if it is you, she said, God, if it is you that is putting this in my heart, let me read somebody, meet somebody from Russia. Within 30 minutes, she met somebody from Russia. That's how the prayer fleece works, okay? Now, you can use it. This is one of those things. You can use it out of context and with the wrong heart, and it'd be abominable to God. So be very careful about how you use this thing. And a second... I've been reading a lot of articles lately about how people say God is not going to choose your spouse. God is not going to do this in, in your marriage. That you can marry anybody you want to and you just trust that God is going to do this. I believe right here this is proof positive that God does appoint our spouses. That soulmates do indeed uh, uh, 
exist. That God is indeed in the business of pairing us with the people he wants us to be. And this idea that God is not going to do it, I believe it is fallacy and I believe it is heresy. Why do I believe it is heresy? If God can order everything else in your life, why would he not order the very person that you tie your soul to, the person that you bring children into this world with? What if you marry the wrong person and, and you don't birth the thing that it was supposed to be birthed? What if you don't birth the child that was supposed to be birthed because you're over here thinking that God is not going to tell you who to marry? I think that is heresy. And I and I understand that you, you are tired of being hurt and you believe that, that God didn't order your steps when you got married. And I believe that possibly you weren't listening hard enough. Maybe you didn't catch what he was trying to do. And sometimes we, we get put in these situations where we believe that God didn't do it because it went wrong, but it was just meant we were supposed to fight a little bit longer. We gave up on the thing that God wanted us to fight for. Don't think for a moment that God is not going to cause you want or, or teach you how to get through some things by fighting. Sometimes you got this to fight for your life and you've got to put your arms up and you got to get ready to fight for some things. One thing I find in our generation and our culture is that we're not willing to fight for anything. We, when, we, when we have a relationship that goes south, we get up and leave no matter how much it hurts us. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we are not ready uh, for what it entails and so we just hop off the keys or we hop off out of the, out of the office and we run away from what God has promised us. I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you and I want you to truly believe this and to truly put this in work and cause it to be proof positive in your life. If you will trust what God has said or called for you, if you will consult him when it comes to you choosing the person you're going to spend the very rest of your life with, when choosing the job that you're going to choose, when you're choosing the church you will attend, when you're choosing whether you're going to have children or not or how many children you're going to have, consult the master. We see it right here in the scripture, and in just a few seconds we see just how much it works. Okay. And it happened, verse 15, and it happened before he had finished speaking. This is how good God is, y'all. And before he finished speaking, before his prayer was opened, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Micah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And the young woman was very beautiful to behold a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran out to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. She said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly picked up a pitcher down her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also. Prayerfully, y'all, proof positive. Anyway, keep going, keep going, until I have finished drinking. And then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran back to the well to draw water and drew it to all for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent. So as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a golden ring, nose ring, weighing half a shekel, and two braces for her wrist, weighing ten shekels of gold, and said, Whose daughter you tell me, please? Is there room for your father for us to lodge? And she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Milka's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both a straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed him his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. 
And Laban ran out to the man by the, by the well. And it came to pass, when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, he heard the words of his sister Rebekah, saying, Thus the man spoke to me. And he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, O blessed the Lord, blessed of the Lord. Why would you stand outside? For I prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came to the house and unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to watch his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. <clears throat> Food was set before them to eat, and he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And she said, Speak on. He said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has come become great, and has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him she has given him all that she has. Now my master has made me swearing, saying, You shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house, and my and from my family take a wife from my son. And I said to my master, Oh boy, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, Lord, before whom I walk, will send my angels, angel, and you will prosper your way, and you shall take a wife from my son and from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear in this oath, and you'll arrive among my family, for if they will not give her to you, then you'll be released from my oath. Y'all, we see something really amazing happen here. First, we see God answer not only a prayer, but a prayer fleece. We see Abraham, I'm not, we see Eleazar put before the Lord something deep and something very specific, and before he could finish speaking, God answered this prayer. There's something about praying prayers and faith. When we pray prayers and faith, the, the, the stipulation is that we believe that it is done when it is done, and God promises to go ahead and turn hearts of men and to do what he has said, what you have requested of him in that moment, as long as it is not contrary to the word of God. Then what we see here happen is the woman has a heart after God. Whether she knows him or not, she has a heart after God because the things that he stipulated were things that come after God. The things, their servant mentality, and she comes out, and first she fulfills everything in the fleece. And then she welcomes them to the home. And then you remember the stipulation Abraham said, I want you to go and find a woman from my father's house. From the brother of Abraham is this girl. And so every stipulation is fulfilled. Every promise is fulfilled. This is not even a half-made, mammy-made situation. God God honors everything that he has said, and I believe that it is complete blessing. Now, I think first, now we need to deal with who Eleazar is, okay? Eleazar is a servant from the house of Abraham, okay? <clears throat> Eleazar was going to be the heir of Abraham should he die. But then, you know, Ishmael and Isaac happened. Um, but it was it was that the will, it, and up until that point, Eleazar was going to get the house. He was not just some servant. He was the chief servant. He was the dude that was running things. He was probably one of the better friends of Abraham. In this situation, we see that Eleazar had power. Now, we notice here in chapter 24, we don't see mention of Eleazar's name. Okay. We draw parallel. We draw, we drew parallel first to Abraham as the father, right? We drew parallel to Isaac as the son. We can draw parallel to Eleazar, okay, as the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, they're not these, but in type they are. They, they serve the same purposes in these situations, okay? 
what we see is that the Holy Spirit, when, when, we, when he talked about the Holy Spirit in the Word, when we talked about the Holy Spirit, we knew that the Holy Spirit would not ascribe to himself. The Holy Spirit was not concerned with getting credit. The Holy Spirit was just concerned with being the comforter. Now, here's what's interesting. Eleazar literally means comforter. Now, we know the whole word, the Bible works in puns, okay? God, he, he's crafty like that. Um, but I think he does that for people who are truly trying to study the word, okay? Because when we study the word, we can find truths that are concealed and revealed. But you have to become a study, a, a student. What I love, one of you know, everybody loves Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. But very rarely do people go into thir- twelve and thirteen. And what he says there is, if you, if you, if you, you will find me, if you will search for me with your whole heart. Sometimes we get into this word and we just read it. Sometimes we get into this word and we don't really deep do any depth depth of study and we don't go in, we don't go far into it and we're not concerned with what it really means. We get the surface level. Oh, I'm excited about John 3:16. And John 3:16 is something worth crying about. But there are so many more riches that are that are buried here if you just know the Sunday school verses. And, and when I say Sunday school, I mean like CME Christians, Christmas, Mother's Day and Easter. You know, the the the, the things that that we we miss what I think is imperative for us to see that the, the more we study this word, the more it will draw us and confirm history, science, and everything else. If somebody tells you right, if somebody has the audacity to tell you that they um that if they have the, the audacity to tell you that the, that scripture points anywhere else, they haven't done their due diligence. You asked Elon Musk, and I like Elon Musk. Uh, he, 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 now that I know these things about him, it scares me. But Elon Musk, you know, the man that owns Tesla um, and owns a space company and, and, and is very successful in, in, in worldly standards, they asked him, could science and religion coexist? And he said, probably not. That tells me he hadn't done any study. They said he grew up as a lover of nonfiction, and he was a studied child, but he didn't study this book because if he studied this book, I promise you what he would have found would have been different. But if you'll join me in, in John 14, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit for just a second. John 14, uh, we're going to start reading at 19. No, 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 15. Uh, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper and he will abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the word cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows him. Okay. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans and I will come to you. So he's, you know, he's kind of setting up his case. I'm getting ready to leave verse 19. He says in a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also at that day. You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. Um, And Jesus answered me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will love me in our home. And who does not love me will not keep my words. And the word will, will hear you. Here is not mine, but the Father who has sent me. In other words, he, we, we, we see him talk directly about the Father. We see him talk directly about the Son. 
we see him talk directly about these other other situations. Or he does he talks about the helper, but he doesn't give the helper a name. We know the many names of God. We know the many names of Jesus, but we just know the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and the Helper. Why? Because it's not important. He is the Helper. And so we see in Eleazar, it's not necessary to call Eleazar's name because he is just the helper, the comforter. He is a spirit. See, one thing we know about God is that we were created in his likeness, so we know that he is multidimensional. We know that Jesus Christ came in both flesh and in spirit form. He came as a human, so he had to be diversified. But the spirit is just indeed what he is. He's a spirit. Now, there's this show I like to watch on television that is it's, it's a philosophy project. If, you, if you've ever seen it, it's called The Good Place. And what the show is, is it begins out with you thinking that you've made it to heaven. And so they have con- misconstrued this idea of heaven. And after a while, of about a season or two, they, they, they say that this good place that they have constructed is not heaven, but it is hell. And it's a way to torture you by thinking you're in heaven, by giving you everything that you didn't want. Um, but one of the things that there is is this, this robot lady thing that is there to help you. Her sole job is to help. If you if you call her name, she just appears, and whatever you need, she gives you. If you need some information, she gives the information. And and her whole job is to to provide those things for you. Okay. And so I don't want to make the comparison, but there I mean she it kind of it's like the Holy Spirit. Now granted this song, this show is probably a little too much of a philosophy project and it is in some ways a little bit sacrilegious it is kind of sacrilegious and it's made for comedic comedy's sake. But that parallel, his job is to comfort you, to keep you and to, to indwell in you and make sure that you are on the right track all the days. And if, if his job is just keep you there, because if he can keep you there, he can make sure you can maintain the things that need to be maintained in your life. Okay. Back to Genesis. Okay. I think we had verse 32. Uh, then the man came to the house and unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. The food was set before them and he said, I will not eat. Oh, oh we, were, we, we, we were here. Okay, we were here. Uh, verse 42. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord, my God, the master of Abraham, if you will now prosper in the, the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass. When the virgin comes out of the water, I will say to her, please give me a little water. Uh, we, we're here too. We've said all of this. Verse 50, And Laban and Bethuel answered, said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, either bad or good. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go. Let her be your master's son's wife. The Lord has spoken. And that's one of those things about it. It doesn't kind of, it, you know, we don't know the state of Laban. We don't know the state of Bethuel. But they are they are very aware that if the Lord has been this clear thus far, we're not going to stand in the way of him. And that's, that's to me, one of, that's one of those signs. Some people are hell-bent against God, and so they're going to try to stand in the way, and they're just foolish because they don't realize how sovereign he is. And there's some people who it doesn't really matter how well they know him, but they know that if it's clear that he's been moving, let me get out the way. I'm not going to be the one to hold up progress. And I can respect the latter. And that's kind of where we see Laban and Bethuel. We don't really know where they are. We know Laban becomes a trickster later on in Scripture, and we talk about him when it comes um, to Jacob, I think, yeah, Jacob, um, just a generation. Uh, 
and he, the men who were with him, ate and drank. Let's see. And it came to pass when Abraham's servants uh, heard their words that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the men brought out jewelry and silver and uh, gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and he said, she said, he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. And then after that she would go. And they said to him, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Ooh, look at that. I'll send me away so I may go to my master. And so they said, we will call the young man, woman back, woman, and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. And they sent away Rebecca, uh, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his man, men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands and ten thousands. Prophecy, y'all. And may your descendants possess <coughs> the gates of all who, who hate them. Then Rebecca and her maids arose, and they rode the camels and followed the man. And so the servant took Rebecca and reported, departed. Now Isaac came from the way to Beer Lahai Roi, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes up and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field? And she said, And the servant said, It is my master. She took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things which he, that he had done, and Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So they went and they followed protocol. They, they followed the rules. They did everything they were supposed to do. And so I think this is one of the, one of the one, one, wondrous blessings here. Um, so we know that Rebecca has, I'm not Rebecca, that Sarah has died and she has passed away. And even in her passing, we find um, a bit of mess. Uh, of course, she left some despair. Um, but with what I love about Eleazar, he followed the rules. He's been a comforter, but he went and provided for another comforter to come. And so Rebecca comes and she has followed all the protocols. She's passed all the tests. And he leaves room. <clears throat> for her to come and be the comforter to uh, Isaac in the, in the wake of his mother's death. She knows exactly what to do there. You know, at this point, we, had, we ain't got no women in the house. They don't know what to do. They don't know to take care of us. And so we see um, Rebecca comes on the scene and cares for, uh, cares for them in, in, a, in a manner that she needs, takes care of them in, in, in all types of ways, and it changes the story for them. Um, I'm willing to say that they, he needed Rebecca just as much as she needed him. You know, she had a life going on in this situation, but she needed him and he needed her. And we thank God that he did these things. And I think it's first, it's important that we see God moving. Now, what I also want to do is I want to look at you uh, just a couple of verses ago. It said that, um, it said, look up, look up. Now, I don't know the irony there, but I want to, let's chronicle through the three times where we see the Lord says, look up your eyes or look, look to the hills or uh, the three times we see that coming up with Abraham because something happens every time we see that statement. And let me, let me get it right. Let me get it right. 
But every time we see that statement, lifted up his eyes. Every time we see that statement with uh, Abraham, it changes his life. Every time we see that move in Abraham, it is a life-altering experience. And as it alters the life of Abraham, I think it's important. The first time we see it, um, he saw the land in which God was promising him. He said, look, lift up your eyes and look. And he shows him Canaan, which Canaan is going to be promised to them. Even, you know, he's letting them live there now. And then they're going to be exiled and they're going to go to Egypt. And then they're going to be restored back to that land. And then they get scattered again. And y'all guess what? Then they come back to it now in modern history. Uh, and this land is called Jerusalem, right? The second time, he sees three men. He says, look, he, he lifted up his eyes. Uh, we see we see the three men walking toward him. And really, the three men are God and two angels, and they get ready to destroy Sodom. And, you know, he gets ready to negotiate with them. Uh, and so we see another life-altering experience as he's, walk, he's, got, he's actually walking with God. Um, that's something nobody in Scripture has had the opportunity to do yet. And so... Uh, we see Abraham in a peculiar situation, in a blessed situation. Um, and then we we just saw, just moments ago, is that he um, he saw the ram in the bush. He said he lifted up his eyes and he saw the ram in the bush and he didn't have to slay Isaac. And now here we are in Scripture. And Rebecca is having to lift up her eyes. And so we see, again, a life-altering experience. She's lifted up her eyes and now she sees uh, her new future. And she's walking into this thing and she's now tied... Uh, to Isaac, and she's becoming a comforter to her, to him, in a season where he needs a comforter. He's becoming, she's becoming something new. She's walking in a new place. She's a virgin. She's clean. She's cleansed, and she hasn't been with a man. She doesn't know how to treat a man, but she's watched a mother. And we believe that she's been trained to do everything that she's supposed to be and to go where she's supposed to go. And now she has got a new opportunity to be something fresh, part of the lineage that God has promised to bless part of something where the Messiah will come from. You know, organized religion was not quite a thing there, but we see these things, these organizations popping up in, in the things that they do, and we see that these these trends and these statements that they are walking in and they are living in, uh, after a while, become the hard, staunch law that will become the Jewish faith. And so I think we have seen uh, many marvelous things. And as a matter of fact, we see some of these hard stars rules that become part of the nation of Islam, um, as far as removed as Ishmael may be. And so we just see God doing his thing. Um, he doesn't require things to make sense. And I think we have seen that in scripture over and over again. And we've seen it, especially today. We doesn't require things to make sense. It doesn't have to be comprehensible to us. We don't have to be stuck up in uh, trying to understand exactly what he's done. God just does and he makes happen. You know, I'm sure, you know, Eleazar prayed this prayer. Uh, he put that fleece before the Lord, and he probably wasn't too sure how well it was going to work, but it worked perfectly. So if there was any doubt in his faith walk, I'm sure it was much solidified because the man couldn't even shut his mouth before God uh, began to bless his journey. Um, but we see we see a lot of stuff happening here, and I think it's important. First, it's important that they did find a wife, and that the wife, they did follow the rules to find her. Um, but it's also important to me that Eleazar went with more than enough gifts to give 
to uh, Rebecca when he found her, even though he didn't know that's who he was looking for. He went with more than enough. He was expecting to have to go and show up and show up, but God met him with a wife that was, well, a wife for Isaac that was humble. And I think that is something that all of us who are looking for a spouse um, should should look at is that, you know, we, we may want to spoil them. I know that's one of my love languages. I give love by giving. I don't always receive it that way, but I give love through giving. And so as I, I give love through giving, I think it is incredibly important that um, that we are seeking, although we are seeking somebody that we can take care of, that we can love, that we can bless, um, but that we would find somebody that have, would have us a streak of humility and that a streak of humility would be found in us. I think that is an incredibly important. Um, and that's just a free little argument for my young people who are dating, who are trying to find a spouse, who are interested in, in being in holy matrimony. I think it is important that we both be draped in humility, that we both be willing to serve. And I think that also parallels to the rest of the gospel is that it's not about being exalted or you treating me like the king or the queen. It is about let's both be humble before the sight of God and be, be, be humble before the sight of others because that is how Christ inevitably will be when it went well was when he came to the earth and, and I'm sure when he comes back to right again he will be a model of humility I can just imagine because it is the character of who he is and so why would we expect that to change so we see we see marvelous things happening um and and, and I'm, I'm glad to be able to teach that now if you got questions um I know my voice is going, and so I'm, I'm sure I'm not hitting everything that I wanted to because I'm not feeling my best. But if you have questions about this passage of Scripture, do text me, do email me, do make it known, make a comment, and we'll talk about it on the next time. And until next time, this has been Bible School with Reverend Kojo.